Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 james chapter 2 verses 17 and 18 so also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead d-e-a-d dead That is not true saving faith. That is not faith that is producing fruit. That is not faith that has found the good soil and has grown and is reproducing. Faith without works is dead. It's choked out. It is shriveled up and died. It is not existent. If your actions do not support your faith, it is not really faith at all. So he goes on, he says this. So faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Last week, Pastor Walter taught on the tongue, the power of the tongue, how it's a small member in the body, but it's like a rudder that moves a ship. It's like the the bridle in the uh, mouth of a horse that moves and, and changes direction of the horse. And then it goes on and it says, how can out of the same mouth come both blessings and cursings. How can you come here and praise God with your lips on Sunday and curse God with your lips the rest of the week? It cannot be so, James says. You're fooling yourselves. He says, I want you to really look in the mirror. Has the gospel changed you? Can I see faith because, or works because of your faith? Has the, the lifestyle that you've been living, how has it changed? Listen to what the scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 1. He would write, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't live like the old man lived. Don't chase after the old man's dream. Stop living the old life. Don't be that guy anymore. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. With your life, your life should be holy now. It it, it makes sense, does it not? If you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, you cannot be a follower of Jesus if your life still looks the same as it used to. If you're following Jesus, you have to follow Jesus into holiness, into righteousness, into purity. If you are not, you're fooling yourselves. You're one of the three soils that the seed never really found its place. Your conduct, your lifestyle has to be changed. Who is the wise and understanding person in the room? It's the person whose lifestyle shows a difference from before. This is what James is saying. Paul would write this to his protege, Timothy. He would say, let no one despise your youth. First Timothy chapter four. Let no one despise your youth, but, be, uh, but set the believers an example in speech in conduct, in faith, or in love, in faith, and in purity. Be an example. The word in the Greek is a mirrored image. 
be a mirrored image of what it looks like to live righteously and pure like Jesus. Be a reflection of Jesus to the world in your conduct, in your lifestyle. The wise and understanding person in the room, you're not going to be governed by the same passions that you used to. Your life will have changed. Are we good? First thing he says there, I'm gonna be able to tell by your lifestyle, by your good conduct. The second thing he says there, by his good conduct, let him show his works. Here's this word again. James is bringing up the notion of works and sometimes again in, in the Christian church, works is like a, a bad word. We can't say works because works, if I'm, if I'm trying to chase after works, it means I haven't put my trust in the sufficiency of the cross. That is not the case. James is saying works are important because it's proof that you've put your faith in the trust and your trust in the sufficiency of the cross. Do you follow me? He says, I will be able to see by your works something different. Jesus himself said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I want to bring glory to God by my works. I want people to, to watch me live my life, to be able to observe my lifestyle, to, to watch the decisions that I make with money, to watch the decisions that I make as a father, to watch the decisions that I make as a husband, to watch the decisions that I make as a pastor and say, man, I give glory to God because I can see God in the way he lives his life and in the works that he brings. This is how Peter put it, 1 Peter chapter two. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Abstain from the old man. Keep your conduct, your lifestyle among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. That they would, everything that they have in them wants to say something bad about you, say something bad about me. But when they watch the way I live my life, when they watch the way you live your life, they would have no choice but to give glory to God. Man, that's what I want my life to look like. So who is the wise an understanding person in the room, it's the person whose life has some sort of, their conduct has been changed and there's fruit, there's works that you, we can tangibly see happening in their walk. But it goes on and it describes even further. Look at this. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The word meekness was not a word that was revered by the Jewish thinking. Wisdom was seen as being weak. And the word literally means power that is under constraint or power that has been harnessed. And again, this word meekness was used of a, a horse that had been bridled, that it was, it, it was a, a, like a war stallion. It was a strong beast, a wild beast, but it had been tamed. And so here the same thing, meekness, it's power that is under constraint. It's amazing to me that in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus describes himself as meek in the Original King James, this is what he says. He says, come to me, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. I am meek and lowly at heart. You understand this morning, don't you, that there has never been a more powerful man to walk the face of the earth than Jesus himself. And yet Jesus would describe himself as meek, and he would give an invitation to me to come into his presence to find rest and peace. 
He would have every right to strike me with a bolt of lightning because of my sin right now in this moment. And he has the power to do so, but he harnessed that power, he restrained that power, and he used that power to win my salvation on the cross. That is meekness. And what James is saying is if your life has really been changed, you're gonna use your knowledge and you're gonna apply that knowledge in such a way that that power is constrained. You don't use that wisdom to tear people down. You don't use that wisdom to step all over people. You don't use that wisdom to advance your own agenda. You use that wisdom to build the people up around you, to make the people around you better, to strengthen the people around you. To be meek means to not use your power selfishly, but to give your power on behalf of someone else. This is what James is saying. I, I, I will know the person who is wise and the person who is understanding among you because I'm gonna see their good conduct. I'm gonna see the works that they do and I'm gonna see a, an attitude of meekness as they go about dispensing that wisdom. They're gonna give that wisdom away selflessly. I pray for meekness every single day. I pray for, pray for wisdom every single day as well. But I pray for meekness every day because I do not believe it comes naturally to me. I don't, I don't believe it comes naturally to any of us. When someone speaks evil against you, your initial thought is not to stop and to pray for them and to encourage them and to edify them. Your initial thought is how can I exact revenge, is it not? Meekness says, okay, I have the power to destroy their lives like they're trying to destroy mine, but I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do it. That's to be meek. And, and here's the thing. The scripture declares that meekness will be rewarded. Psalm 37, 11, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Matthew 5, 5, Jesus said this, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. The man who shows meekness in his wisdom. We studied this story a few weeks back, but just by way of refresher, Solomon was approached by the Lord and the Lord said to Solomon, you can ask me of anything and I'm gonna give it to you. What would you like for me to give to you? And Solomon prays that he would be given wisdom to judge God's people justly. And God responds to Solomon, because you didn't ask for long life and you didn't ask for riches and you didn't ask for victory over your enemies, I'm gonna give you all of those things and, atop, and aside from that, I'm also gonna make you the most wise man that has ever lived. God rewards a heart that asks selflessly for wisdom. Lord, I don't want to be wise because I want to amass great wealth for myself. I don't, want to, I don't want to be wise so that I can advance in my, God, I want to be wise so that I can bless the people around me. So when they struggle in life, I might have the answer. I might be able to give them a word that would encourage them and give them direction. God, make me wise, not for my own sake, but for the sake of your body. God will answer that prayer. That's a meek asking of wisdom. Are you following me? So first thing here, there's two attitudes, two outlooks we can have about other people. The first one is commendable. The first one is one I hope that we all can have, which is that attitude or that outlook of meekness. But there's also a second way that we can look at others, and that's with the outlook of selfishness. Look at this text again, verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. If, if you don't have meekness, 
if you're not looking out for the interests of others. If you have bitterness, he begins with, okay? So this outlook of selfishness begins with an attitude of bitterness. The word bitter literally, youth, you're gonna like this. The word bitter literally means salty. Now, if you have a teenager in the house, they use this word a lot. Don't be salty, don't be salty. Don't be salty, don't be salty, right? Uh, is that salty and sweaty, those are two really like popular words these days. Don't be sweaty, he's a sweaty, don't be salty. So here's the, the word bitter, being salty, don't be, don't be bitter towards other people. If you have an attitude of bitterness, you're self-focused. And here's the thing, it, it, especially in today's political climate, and I, I, I'm not super into politics, I don't watch the news maybe even as much as I should, all right? It, 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 I feel like it distracts me from what the Lord wants me to do. But here's the thing, is in our political culture today, there is so much division and so much bitterness that really until we address the bitterness issue, we're not going to be able to make sense of anything. And this is what I mean, is, is we are so split down the middle, half of our population believes one way, half of our population believes it another way, and I'm not here to tell you which way is right or wrong. What I'm saying is this, is that we've allowed our culture to convince us that if somebody believes differently than we do, that we have to hate them. Can, can you disagree with someone without being bitter towards them? Can you have a difference of opinion without hatred building up in your heart? Because that's what the exhortation is here, is like don't have that kind of bitterness. And again, you can be convinced that you know the truth, that you have the one truth and the only truth, but don't allow that, that conviction in your heart to cause you to be bitter towards somebody else. Can you disagree with someone without becoming disagreeable? So he says, be careful because that is not from above. If you're bitter, that is not from above. You caught that, right? Second thing, if you're jealous, that is not from above. That's not coming from the Lord. And again, the word jealousy, it means fanatical. It means have, having an intense burning desire to have or be someone else, to have what someone else has or to be someone else. Okay, and so it, it's, it's an attitude that watches someone else succeed and has an issue with that. You don't wanna see someone else succeed because you believe you deserve that or that should be happening to you or in your, your life. You see someone else get a new car and you think, well, they don't deserve that, I deserve that. You see someone else get a promotion, they don't deserve that. I work harder than they do. That, that's a jealous heart. That's not from above, that's of the flesh. This is what the text is saying. So again, we're contrasting. There's this meek attitude and then there's this selfish attitude. If, you, if in your life, when you look in the mirror and you see attitudes of bitterness and jealousy, you know that you're following after the flesh. That's not the Lord doing that in you. That's the flesh. The gospel has it changed you yet? So the, the third description here, look at this. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, this word is, is a really descriptive word. It, it began by describing or, or, or pointing to someone that wove clothing or rugs for a living. So they would hire themselves out to make someone's wardrobe or to make someone's rugs in the home. And so originally that's what the word described. Eventually it kind of morphed into this word that described anyone who would hire themselves out for payment, a mercenary. But its final conclusion of this word, what the word was used for during Jesus' day, it described a politician that, could, that, that their votes could be purchased giving himself to the highest bidder. So again, this is not a description of what real 
uh, wisdom should look like. This is not from above. This is a fleshly attitude, a selfish ambition. What can I get out of this person? What can I gain out of this person? What is this relationship going to do for me? How can they advance my career? How can they advance uh, my family situation? How can they make me more popular? How can I fleece this person rather than how can I bless this person? How can I speak life into this person? How can I encourage and edify this person? Do you see the difference? This, uh, uh, this idea of selfish ambition, it also uh, had the connotation of having a party spirit, of dividing two sides, of setting one side against another in order to try to win an argument. It had no problem setting a line down the middle of the room and saying, you're either for me or against me. We can't have it both ways. Just draw the line and you go to your side and I'll go to my side and we're going to argue until we figure this out. Has that kind of a spirit in it. Now, this is a sad thing to say and I want you to write these verses down again for sake of time. Ezekiel 34 verses one through six. I want you to read that later on about how the Lord gives a stern warning to false shepherds, people who were supposed to be leading the flock of God into the presence of, of the Lord, supposed to be teaching God's word to people, but how they were doing it and they, were, they, they weren't caring for the sheep, they were just taking from the sheep. The church is filled with pastors who do this. They're not called, or they don't really, haven't responded to a call to feed the sheep and to encourage the sheep and to build up the sheep. They're there for selfish ambition. What can the sheep do for me? This is the way Peter put it in 1 Peter chapter 5. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would, ha uh, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's how the religious leaders should look at things. But there's so many religious leaders in the church today that have a selfish ambition, that they have a heart that is just trying to take and is trying to divide and is trying to destroy and is trying to ruin. This is what God's word says about people who try to divide. It says this in Proverbs chapter six, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with a perverted heart devises evil. Listen to this, continually sowing discord. That's an evil man. That's a worthless person according to God's word. It goes on Proverbs 6, 16. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. Don't be that guy. Don't be that one. This is what Paul wrote to Titus. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. The one who thinks selfishly, who walks into the room, is looking for how I can gain advantage from the people around me. The one who's willing to, to break a relationship relationship in order to gain an adversary, the one who's willing to point a finger across the aisle, that person, the scripture says, is worthless. It says to note that man and not allow him back into the church after he's been warned twice. That's how serious God takes someone who's trying to sow discord in the midst of his church body. Don't be that guy. That's not from the Lord. That's from 
the earth. That's from the, the world. So this text again says, if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Have you ever heard boxers before a match or like any of you follow MMA and you listen to these guys and just how like boastful they are and how, how much trash they talk about, how much better they are than their opponent, right? And then you have someone like Pacquiao who's like mellow and like very humble. Like if I have a choice to root for someone between that prideful, boastful, arrogant guy and the one who's humble, I'm gonna choose the humble one every time. I don't know about you, right? But I, I think sometimes those guys are so arrogant and so boastful and so prideful because they're insecure, they're trying to convince themselves that they're good enough to even be in the ring with the other guy. Listen to me. What this text is saying is if someone is really, truly wise, they're not going to have to go around running their mouth about it. They're not going to be bragging about it because they don't have to brag about it. People will, will, will honestly, they'll be able to recognize these wise people and they will gravitate towards them. If there's someone talking about their wisdom and how wise they are and how special they are and what great revelation and insight they have from the Lord, run! You don't need that kind of wisdom. That's not from above. This is what Paul said. He said this in Galatians chapter six, be it far, or, but, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I've got nothing to boast or brag about except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the only thing I will boast in. That's the only thing I will brag about because that's the only thing that is really worth boasting or bragging about. James says, don't be boastful. And he also says, don't be false to truth. And this word is more than just telling a lie. This word is someone who is a hypocrite, who says one thing and does another. You guys know people that are like that? It's even more descriptive than that. It's someone who, who will exaggerate the truth in order to make themselves look better. Now, uh, the other night, and I can say this because Pastor Brett said this from right here behind this pulpit the other night. He was talking about the fishing trip and we all went out fishing. And before I get there, let, just so you know, I caught absolutely nothing, all right? So I've got no place to talk, okay? But he says he got his fish and the fish was a little smaller than he wanted. So in order to make the fish look bigger in the picture, he held the fish close to the camera and he was back here, right? He's exaggerating the truth to make the catch look bigger than it was. That's what this word is talking about. Don't be that guy. Don't be the one that embellishes the truth on your resume. Don't be the one that talks about how big the fish is when it really isn't that big. Here's the thing, the, the scripture's clear that the people who, who are, are false to the truth more often than not are the most religious people. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus warned about this. And let me read to you a couple of verses. You don't have to turn there, but I'm gonna read this to you. He says this, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Translation, be careful of who your audience is as you're trying to be righteous, as you're practicing your religion, as you're worshiping before the Lord. Be mindful of who your audience is. And he goes on, this is what he says. He says, For, uh, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet like the hypocrites, but you give in secret. He goes on and he says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who pray on the street corners as loud as they can. You go to your quiet place and pray. 
Listen, if the only time you pray is here in church and when you're given the opportunity, you stand up and you pray this really loud, beautiful prayer, but you have no prayer life at home, you're being false to the truth. You're being a hypocrite. You're exaggerating, embellishing the truth to make yourself look better in front of other people. God sees and knows your heart. You understand that, right? Jesus would go on in Matthew chapter six and he says, when you fast, don't fast like the hypocrites who disfigure themselves, who, who don't bathe or shower. They want everyone to see how dirty they are so that they know, hey, look how spiritual that guy is. He's fasting. Jesus said, when you fast, you make sure that you cleanse yourself. You make sure you, you look no different than normal because your father who sees in secret is watching. Who's your audience? You see, if you walk into the room and that's the kind of game you're playing, if you walk into the room and you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition and you're boastful and, and you're exaggerating the truth, that's not wisdom that comes from God. It's not from above. That kind of wisdom is earthly. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977